0: Hacking the Gibson special report. Starting in five, four, three, two. Uh, the accounting subdirector of the Gibsons
1: working really hard. I think we got a hacker. So uh, today we're gonna do kind of a departure from our, our usual format, or my format too. I'm not gonna be talking about weird CIA uh, history. Yeah things or anything or any any sort of um I mean it's just tech related.
0: One would hope that we, we don't diverge too far from formats because uh I'm not ready to start talking to you about gardening.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. I <laughs> I do not have a green thumb. I know nothing about that. However, we figured it would be um appropriate to kind of go over what's happening in the Ukraine and also hit that from a cybersecurity side of things. because um, a lot of stuff has happened in the past two weeks both in terms of cybersecurity and just in geopolitical spectrum itself.
0: And as we were just talking about right before we were on, we're doing this special report because even though we're history focused, this is kind of historical because using cyber attack as a leg of an actual offensive is something that's very new and pretty much Putin's the only one who's done it, Mm -hmm. um, at least from a public reporting perspective. So we're actually recording this we're going to be releasing this about as soon as it comes out but we're actually uh several months uh in the future from the previous recordings that you've heard Mm, um, because we tried to do this timely and up to the minute and then we'll go back to the regularly scheduled programming of of all of our of (laughs) all, all of our history stuff that we worked so hard on over the last year or so
1: yeah 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 so uh i'm going to be going over um like a handful of different malwares. Like the two main ones are going to be Whispergate and Hermetic Wiper, mm-hmm. which are two, two big ones that Microsoft has made uh, two blog entries about within the past two weeks, um, give mm-hmm. or take. The Microsoft uh, security blog, they had, they had one dated back to January 15th, 2022. And this was cited seeing destructive malware in Ukrainian systems on January 13th, 2022. And in that, they started tracking it as a uh, Codename Dev0586. And basically talked about how it was designed to look like ransomware, but lacks any sort of ransomware recovery mechanism.
0: Oh. I mean, we we saw uh not Petya, I believe it was, that was the mm-hmm. that had a flawed recovery mechanism.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one was specifically designed to pretend to be it, but there's no way. Before you'd recover anything.
0: They didn't even put that chunk of the code in there to fake it for analysis. That's pretty funny.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Microsoft had detected dozens of the systems at the time of the blog on the 13th, or on the 15th, rather, as having been affected by this and expected it to grow system-spanning government, nonprofit, and information tech organizations, and every single target was based in the Ukraine.
0: At least they got targeting right. Yeah. We could say for Stuxnet. I mean.
1: (laughs) 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 Yeah, Exactly. The blog in was encouraging all organizations to immediately conduct a thorough investigation and to kind of implement defenses uh, using the information provided in the blog.
0: You said this was January fifteenth.
1: January fifteenth, yeah.
0: So, so this was about six ish weeks before the actual invasion on the twenty fourth.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 exactly. And this, I could definitely see this as kind of a laying the ground of precursor attack. Yeah,
0: I believe that this was that at that point was. Close to the beginning of the actual Russian troop buildup.
1: Yeah, exactly. So the activity observed by Microsoft uh, starts with a stage one deployment, and this stage one, um, the entire thing basically overwrites the master boot record okay. and displays a fake ransom note on the uh, the system. It resides in multiple directories, including uh, you know, C uh, perf logs, uh, C program data, C itself, mm-hmm. and C temp. So obviously, you know, affecting Microsoft systems.
0: Yeah, and, and very much picking directories related specifically to the operating system.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the uh, executable goes by just the name stage1.exe. Very, very simplistic.
0: They didn't have time to put all the the, the uh, spinning rims and bells and whistles on it.
1: And with mm-hmm. all the
0: cute naming stuff, it was like, no, no, get it out the door. We have an invasion to
1: do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, this, this, this needs to hit. And I mean, we're going to be talking about a hermetic wiper and some other stuff later on. Mm-hmm. And like in reading about this and then reading up on hermetic wiper and everything, this kind of feels like, yeah, both like a preliminary uh, attack and also kind of testing the water sort of thing. Because you see a lot mm-hmm. of what hermetic wiper and other malware that they pushed out does um, pretty much exactly the same as this, but, you know, mm-hmm. reinforced it in certain ways.
0: So they concentrated on master boot record destruction more than anything?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, oh, I'll get to it a little bit further, like what the stage one, stage two does. But the the, the intrusions observed by Microsoft, they they noted uh, the malware executes via in packet. I don't know if you're familiar with that suite of tools.
0: Uh, in packet. I don't believe I've covered that one yet.
1: Yeah, um, I, I was not familiar with it at all. So I just kind of did a cursory Google search. Mm-hmm. And it's a collection of Python classes for working with network protocols and focused on providing low-level programmatic uh, access to the packets and protocol implementation itself. Okay. You can write packets within everything. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so, th- so they implemented it at, uh, at the lower stack level rather than, mm-hmm. than uh, leveraging kind of the built-in Microsoft stuff for creating services and sockets and stuff.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Mm-hmm. And like, I, w- I won't go over all the tools associated to it. I'll- yeah. You know, we'll provide a link um, at the bottom of this, the footnotes. But there's there's a link to Secure Off uh, that I'll I'll post to it. But there's a bunch of different things that this can do. We can grab uh, Kerberos tickets. Oh, cool! You know, like pull different like sets of data on Active Directory users and stuff like that. Um, Tons of different uh, things. And and so the ransom note itself, uh, once it wipes the master group record and pops up this note, contains a Bitcoin wallet and a Tox ID. Uh, I, again, was not familiar with Tox because I haven't done much with ransomware. I don't know if you're familiar with Tox.
0: No, but I know from all the st- the episodes we have coming that ransomware tends to cycle through a lot of uh, different different systems because there's kind of this very important balance between... A large enough to be used and kind of high in the water, mm-hmm. but not so big as it is have as it has a major law enforcement sophistication on it. Right at this point, we've seen multiple times where the use of Bitcoin has actually been um, has actually led to capture mm-hmm. and recovery. Uh, I believe it happened to is it our evil um, the Cassio oh, okay. system monitoring thing, which yeah. we did a whole episode on. Uh-huh. And um, and there was another Bitcoin issue that wasn't too that wasn't too too long ago where they didn't do an effective job of laundering the bitcoins. And we did a, <clears> we did an episode to be coming called Mama My Satoshi, uh, which talks a <laughs> bit about uh, Bitcoin and crypto coin in general from an infosec context. Right. Yeah. We don't talk about investment. We don't talk about mining. We just talk about it and its use in terms of uh, paying off infosec stuff and uh, how it's used in criminal marketplaces.
1: Uh,
0: yeah
1: sorry yeah <laughs> oh no you know no no worries uh yep tox tox is just uh the, the peer-to-peer instant messaging that they like they picked for um you know transmitting all the data uh because mm-hmm. you know it, support, it supports uh anti-encryption and so anyways the ransom note itself uh when it pops up basically just states uh quote your hard drive has been corrupted in case you want to recover all hard drives of your organization you should pay us ten thousand via bitcoin wallet so then gives a ID number and send via Tox ID, and then gives an ID number for Tox ID. With your organization name, we will contact you to give further instructions.
0: So Tox is just a secure message transmission system.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: And unlike WhatsApp, it probably isn't big enough. Same problem. As soon as it Mm -hmm. gets big enough, law enforcement gets some sophistication about you dealing with
1: it. Yeah, exactly. The malware itself executes when the associated device is powered down and so Microsoft and their blog makes a point to state that overwriting the master boot record is very atypical for a cyber criminal ransomware.
0: Yes, um, it's atypical for ransomware. Uh, older school viruses back in the in the graffiti days, as I like to call them, mm-hmm. there used to be master boot record viruses. But nowadays, it's an uncommon target for any malware Uh, for a couple of reasons. Yeah, yeah. Some of it is it it bricks the box, but the other Mm -hmm. thing is that it doesn't actually cause you to lose the data. It involves a lot of labor to recover, but the data itself is still recoverable.
1: Yeah, yeah. I remember playing around. I think at one point, my boss uh, left his computer unlocked in the office. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we went on vacation for like two or three days and then came back and I had had, uh, taken a USB and made it move from the USB, Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't actually wipe his master boot record, but I could have. And I, I had seen during a hacking competition people doing that and replacing it with a neon cat, the, the little yeah. uh, cat with the pop tart body. Yeah, um, and that's all you saw. So, and yeah. So, anyways, the you know the blog basically states that the note is just a ruse. Um, the malware actually destroys the master boot record and the contents of the files it targets on the system. So, not only does it brick it, you know, just from not being able to boot up, but even if you were to recover that. All the files are completely destroyed and there's no way to recover them.
0: Oh, okay. So, so they do actually mm-hmm. destroy the, uh, destroy do file destruction.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, a few highlights from the blog, Microsoft sites uh, as being inconsistent with typical uh, cyber criminal ransomware are basically, uh, the ransomware payloads are usually customized per victim. But in this case, the same payload has been observed across every single victim hit. Mm-hmm. has been customized at all. Virtually all ransomware encrypts the contents of the file system of the system. This malware overwrites the master boot record and then also has no mechanism for recovery for any of the files uh, being overwritten, or encrypted rather.
0: In some ways, this is a, this is reminiscent of because they, I mean, their attack plan was torn directly from Operation Barbarossa, the Blitzkrieg, mm-hmm. um, and and like they only got half of it apparently. From the war side, but it's a very similar thing where speed of of hitting is way more important than polymorphism that would that, that makes it harder to detect.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Or any any kind of evasion side of things. It's it's hit as many systems as you, as you can before people start putting their defenses up.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's actually kind of funny you you mentioned that because I just happened to be listening to the um uh, what is it the worst year ever I think that podcast with uh, Robert Evans. And he was mm-hmm. kind of going over the Blitzkrieg uh, tactics used by the Russians. And like the, the first echelon is not meant to engage yeah. like, every single enemy. It's just push as far as they can. And then further echelons, you know, kind of wipe out the enemy forces.
0: Yeah. I, I read a blog of a military historian who said very much the same thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The, the third thing that Microsoft kind of points out is that explicit payment amounts and cryptocurrency wallet addresses are rarely specified in modern ransomware notes. Mm-hmm. The same Bitcoin wallet has to stay across all intrusions. And the only activity on that Bitcoin wallet was a small transfer on January 14th.
0: So at least nobody's paying them. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: So that's that's good. Um, I mean, there there is the thing that with all the economic sanctions, uh, Bitcoin might be one of the one of the avenues of leakage that, that is available.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: They already had Bitcoin or had enough some means of acquiring Bitcoin in large enough volumes. So
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the whole thing with the Tox ID, uh, Microsoft kind of states that it's, it's really rare to see uh, communication being only with like Tox ID or like only one messaging app. Yeah. What you usually see are like websites with support forms or multiple contact methods, including email, because they want you to get, right. get to them.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think we talked a little bit about kind of the customer service angle of ransomware operators. But so from what it sounds like, the wiper itself didn't have a command and control layer.
1: It does not. Well, so
0: does it communicate back to the mothership is really the question.
1: It downloads um, stage, what is it? stage two downloads uh, Okay. the next stage malware from a discord channel.
0: Okay. So, it, so, so it has, it could be using that. It could potentially use that as a, as a, um as a command and control channel, but mostly it's just use it as a means of getting a more mm-hmm. sophisticated piece of Malware, a second stage downloader.
1: Yeah, yeah, this that, that seems to be it. There's no, yeah, there's, there seems to be no mechanism for recovering. Um,
0: I find it amusing that if you blocked Discord, you would have been fine
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: to the second stage downloader at least.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And their their fifth point is that most criminal notes include a custom ID for the victim to send to the attackers, because mm-hmm. obviously, you know, the victims will get a specific decryption key for their files, and yeah. so. Without that, you know, it's pretty evident that they don't care, right? Like, yeah. you're not getting a decryption key.
0: Yeah, again, in the in the episodes to come about ransomware, we talk about how they increase their sophistication in key management and like IDing endpoints became a really important part of of that whole customer service side of things.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like I said, the stage two uh, executable is a downloader for the malware. Uh, you know, upon its execution, it pulls the next stage from a uh, Discord channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a download link that's hard-coded in the downloader itself. Wow. That stage of the malware, when it pulls it down, is a file corruptor. And once executed, it locates certain directories on the system with a list of file extensions. There's a the whole host file extensions listed on the blog. Um, just like a few um, where you know, a .3dm files, .tar files, .zip, .vmdk, so like virtual mm-hmm. um, machine files, mm-hmm. uh, .HDD files, .gz, .bat, uh, dot dot and dot dot X, um, you know, mm-hmm. just to name a few. So, you know, it, it, it basically just crossed the board. Like on there too, I saw like um, database uh, extensions and everything. So, yeah.
0: So they're just killing
1: pretty, pretty much everything. Yeah.
0: They're probably just like avoiding cab files because it takes a long time to deal with, but otherwise just kill everything that might contain user data.
1: Yeah. 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 Exactly. And once it, once it finds all these files, it overwrites the content of the file with a fixed number of bytes. And sets basically sets the total file size of uh, the file to one megabyte, so it just hits everything, just blows it away.
0: Yeah, probably eats the mm-hmm. first meg of a, fi- of a file. You might be able to do like deep forensics on this, but mm-hmm. um, my real takeaway is from the sound of it, if you could stop the second stage download, you might be able to recover using the master boot record. Yeah, re- rewriting the master boot record, or at least get the files off. Um, but. If it got to the second stage downloader, it completely bricks the machine.
1: Yeah, yeah, and just,
0: all the data on it.
1: Yeah, you're just hosed. And like after it overwrites all these files and, and encrypts them, you know, it, it changes the extension to some random four byte file extension.
0: Well, it's important to know that it's not encrypting them because of the mechanism they're using. It's actually significantly faster and less computationally intensive than encrypting it. True. Mm, sure, yeah, yeah. And that's that's important for how fast it can do that to the system. Uh, affect the system as opposed to right. ransomware, which has to deal with computational load because if you don't care about getting it back, you could go as fast as you want or as fast as your spindle will go at least.
1: Yeah, just shred everything. And yeah, The recommended customer actions provided by the blog include a point that Microsoft has updated all of their Defender signatures to look for this mm-hmm. and codenamed it Whispergate and they recommend enabling multi-factor authentication and reviewing all authentication activity for any remote access of these systems, uh, and also going into Microsoft Defender and enabling uh, controlled folder access to prevent the uh, MBR or VBR tampering.
0: It sounds like actually kind of a good thing to do regardless, unless you have specifically a system that messes with that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. At, at this point, multi-factor authentication should just kind of be the, the gold standard for anything that can be remotely accessed.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you said that it, that it did some active directory stuff, but it doesn't sound like it did Mimi Cat's level of memory peaking or anything like that. So multi-factor would slow things, slow any of their stuff down. So that's like, actually, that's an interesting point. I don't want to bog you down too much, but um, you said that it went and did some active directory credential grabbing, lateral movement stuff, but the only outgoing connection was to that Discord system.
1: Yeah. Oh, oh no. Um when I mentioned when I mentioned the active directory stuff, that's just part of the impact it suite.
0: Okay, um, okay. I'm yeah, sorry.
1: Yeah, This this doesn't do it, but like uh I just brought up the impact it by this secure off page.
0: So it was just trying to hit anybody that they could get through the vectors that they had. They weren't trying yeah, yeah. to do any lateral movement, it was just do your destruction quickly, which is also yeah, yeah. atypical for ransomware because they tra- they want to hit their, their victims all at once rather than uh Blowing up each foothold they get in the network.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, like the the impact stuff. Yeah, there's the, the WMI um, hooks, SMB hooks for MIC or MS SQL cool stuff. Yeah, tons of other like random tools. Mm-hmm. But it,
0: it's a powerful toolkit, but they weren't using a lot of that capability for this for this particular piece of malware.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was just kind of run gun tread as much as they could. And so you know that, this WhisperGate uh, hermetic wiper. Itself was detected around February 23rd, mm-hmm. so not very long ago from when we we're recording this podcast.
0: Yes, and right about when the invasion happened.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, obviously, we've talked about both of, these, both of these attacks coinciding with Russia building up the forces and invading, invading Ukraine. Uh, Brad Smith, my, the president of Microsoft, posted a blog on Monday in which he stated that some of these recent cyber attacks against civilian targets in the Ukraine uh, quote, raise serious concerns under the Geneva Convention.
0: As in in terms of their affecting civilians or?
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, just a, a slight tangent here. Uh, I would also point out that uh, bombing and targeting evacuation corridors and civilian buildings, it's also raising uh, pretty huge concerns um, over the Geneva Convention. Yeah.
0: I was about to make the point that it's like, I don't think, they care all that much about that but
1: yeah yeah yeah, exactly like
0: um but another thing that we kind of learned during world war ii is that terror bombing is not nearly as effective as the original theorists said it was going to be yeah so i mean there's a question as to whether as to how effective it is or if it's just cruel and horrible
1: it's it's definitely cruel and like i've I've watched videos of like cluster bombing and stuff like Mm -hmm. that and that's cruel and horrible um the worst year ever podcast that I just finished talking about, uh, Robert Evans kind of cites the fact that they have begun using thermobaric weapons Mm. um, in Ukraine. And for those people listening that aren't familiar with that, they basically, the first detonation releases kind of a gas cloud, um, combustible gas cloud. And the second detonation of the device ignites that gas cloud and it literally sucks the oxygen out of your lungs and can suffocate you. And the explosive yield potential of some of these things is close to a nuclear weapon, it just doesn't have the radioactive side effect. But the, these things are like there's no feasible bunker, um, as Robert Evans uh says that can, can protect against this sort of thing, yeah. And they're, they're detonating these in civilian uh areas, yeah. So, yeah. And Microsoft noted that Hermetic Wiper uh struck Ukrainian organizations about several hours uh, before the invasion began, Voltail. In And the attacks have not stopped, though. It's an ongoing risk, according to Microsoft, um, from the threat actor behind the hermetic wiper, or it's also been called Foxblade. Yes. Smith kind of called it Foxblade in one of his blogs. In the wake of these attacks, the FBI and CISA have issued a warning about the possibility that these wiper malware variants can start spreading out from the Ukraine, possibly, as just spillover damage.
0: Yeah. And... We don't know what kind of retaliation. I mean, that's where I've been encountering it. Is all about what happens if they open their scope and just try to hit anybody that might be associated with this, with the sanctions or government operations Mm -hmm. in all of in all the NATO nations. Yeah, targeting is labor intensive, so I don't know how much that's going to happen. But that was the thing that 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 folks were worried about and honestly none of the stuff that i read gave me very much insight to how the the malware was being targeted and um the vectors by which it was being distributed
1: yeah i didn't i couldn't find very much on that
0: yeah and again that's where where i was at yeah yeah i was kind of hoping that that you (laughs) had to drag something up um because that was only part of my 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 last couple of weeks
1: yeah yeah um And on top of this, uh, Microsoft basically stated that tracking like two other strains of mail were associated to this Mm -hmm. uh, threat actor. Um, One identified as Hermetic Wizard, which is a worm used for spreading Hermetic Wiper. Mm -hmm. And uh, another one called Hermetic Ransom. It's a form of decoy ransomware, also called uh, Sonic
0: Vote,
1: And kind of seems in the similar vein as Whispergate. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So maybe Whispergate 2.0 or something. I don't know.
0: Just a wiper with a with a ransomware facade.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. There's also uh, Isaac Wiper. Uh, it's wiper malware that uh, ESET researchers named, and Microsoft is referring to that one by the name of Lassane Raw, um, and it's categorizing it as limited destructive malware attacks. Mm. These all seem to basically be targeted in some fashion to certain organizations and the government facilities and stuff in the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And so far there's been no reports um, from anyone investigating this stuff that like indiscriminate malware technology, um, and they, they cite not petya um mm-hmm. yeah. as being an example, has has not been observed so far yet. But you know, it's definitely been targeted at most infrastructure systems. Um in fact, Smith mentions in his post that the recent cyber attacks in Ukraine have been targeting an agricultural sector. Uh, sector mm-hmm. uh, emergency response services and humanitarian aid efforts
0: yeah they're going for secondary targets that may not be as have uh, such as strong cyber hygiene as national defense level stuff
1: mm-hmm. yeah and um uh, Smith's blog states that some of these threats appear to be closely tied to nation state interests while others seem to be more opportunistically attempting to take advantage of events surrounding the evasion so it could be you know you have Putin and his group attacking with malware and then you know people just kind of taking advantage of this and sneaking in with their own little stuff here and there
0: the fact that none of this is is straight ransomware makes that a little bit harder for me to to uh that seems like that seems less of a strong attribution or or um mm-hmm. that seems less strong analysis um yeah the fact that it's tar- where it's targeted how it how it's working I would think well I have a couple of thoughts that I of of the way that I would have done it but again a lot of that had to do with evasion and and creating more confusion on the analysis side like I I probably would have tried to have the different variants be very code similar and look like polymorphic variants to to one another so it was much more difficult to say right. no this is not ransomware and and I would have at least one one version that looked like it was trying to be effective ransomware, even if it was based on like old code or something, the ransomware command and control side. Yeah, yeah. Because it's we do know that uh, a few of the APTs, um, all of the ones that end in bear, uh, <laughs> have done this st- kind of stuff before. And we know that they've reused code. And even if it wasn't going to be super effective, they could have reused code. Just as a decoy mechanism, even if they knew it was compromised and was unlikely to be effective.
1: Right. And um, one of these pieces of wiper software, according to the Washington Post and VentureBeat, struck a border control station. This forced the border agents there to have to start processing refugees who were fleeing the country with pencil and paper, Mm
0: -hmm. which just
1: created crazy long times um, for these people that were crossing into Romania.
0: Yeah, that's exactly why the secondary targets were attacked. Um, mm-hmm. just by removing the computers from the from equation or for something like that. Some ways it's cruelty for cruelty's sake, but it's cruelty to just create a, a, um, a redistribution of resources.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's chaos and the government's going to have to yeah. act on these chaotic factors as well, um, which you know diminishes their capability of responding right. to something.
0: And uh, one thing we do know about all of the things that Putin has done with this hybrid warfare idea of using cyber attacks and propaganda and intelligence as well military force, either once they could cut loose or ones that were, that were explicitly Russian, like they, like they are now, mm-hmm. um, is that a lot of this stuff is throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their, their general tactics have, have very much been trying and take every target of opportunity and throw something at it and see what you can do rather than have relying on any particular attack being effective.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. So that, that's most of it on the sort of like the malware cybersecurity side of things. Mm-hmm. Like in terms of just recent developments for, you know, this invasion of Ukraine as a whole, obviously, obviously like Twitter, Twitter news feeds, but I saw one that um, basically in the city of Maripol, uh, which is the southeastern Ukraine that had been surrounded by a bunch of soldiers, they um organized basically an evacuation corridor for citizens mm-hmm. and just maybe 4 5 hours ago um today there were reports that russians were actively attacking and like bombing parts of that corridor and so I was like that, that hasn't been confirmed you know obviously yeah it's hard twitter is very all over the place
0: well i was about to make the a couple of points about use of the internet and stuff um mm-hmm. putin at this point or the the Russian government at this point has uh, blocked Facebook.
1: Yeah, yeah, I saw that, yeah.
0: Uh, The thing is that that used to be, that has been a great avenue for them to spread disinformation, but it's also an avenue of actual information. And on the flip side, I believe the Ukrainian government has done a very good job of utilizing social networking to garner international support for their own internal morale. Part of what makes this, this particular conflict Interesting from a historical perspective is the use of social media. Even though we still are feeling this fog of war and not being able to confirm everything, there's still way more information coming in and out, and actual artifacts like pictures and stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Although I did find the one thing that was interesting is, uh, and I didn't look at the analysis on this, but but an Israeli news agency was was showing um, footage, and I use the air quotes for footage because in one of them they had somebody somebody's project thing of a TIE fighter crashed in the middle of a highway. (laughs) (laughs) So it was obviously like not from that conflict. Um, Yeah, yeah, (laughs) So like there's that interesting side, but the use of social media as such a as such a strong component of these of these kind of um things goes back for a while. It goes back um until the Arab Spring, which I think was 2013 or something like that
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: so that's not brand new to this conflict but it's new in the it's still quite new in the annals of warfare
1: yeah it's very interesting because i think was it like two three days ago you had the russian ambassador at the un basically like shouting down people denying anything was going on but like there's live video and feed and it's like you know like I think I saw someone basically mentioning the fact that like Putin a lot of these guys grew up in an era where social media was not prevalent. And you could gaslight and lie, lie about these things. And like if there was something leaked, you could kind of play that off. But now it's being streamed 24-7. Like you can watch everything in real time as it happens.
0: From an infinite number of sources in a a nearly infinite number of vectors. You know, one wonders what um, Hearst would have done or Pulitzer would have done if the Spanish-American War had happened in this era
1: yeah yeah and like in terms of the social media side of things um like there, there's one uh streamer that plays final fantasy 14 that i, I used to follow um every now and then and their their name they go by the handle zepla mm-hmm. and they they were living in the ukraine and like you know when the troop trip buildup was happening and everything i remember like i caught like a few um of uh the streams on youtube and them talking about like you know like being very anxious about what's going on, but maybe like, you know, nothing's going to happen. And then they left uh, Kiev to go to um, a different city, I think over on the Western side. And they just uploaded a video within the past, I think two or three days. That was kind of their story of like everything they just went through. Yeah. And it, it's pretty like disheartening and heartbreaking. And the fact that like, the only reason they got out of the country was they got a call from someone in the community basically asking are you okay because the bombs had started falling and they woke up uh air sirens were going on yeah in the area uh, they they got out with their pets they got to the border and they didn't know like what was going to happen their boyfriend didn't know if he was going to be conscripted because he was ukrainian national yeah, yeah and his parents were still in kiev yeah um and so they, they like you know just all this all this crazy stuff going on mm-hmm. and you see I don't know if you've seen the videos, there's tons of videos out there of like um, Russian soldiers who have been captured. Yeah, basically calling their parents and saying, like, we didn't know. Yeah, this is what was going on.
0: Yeah. And honestly, some of that stuff is just truly excellent social network propaganda by mm-hmm. Ukrainian government. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Not only are we being the humanitarians and being doing it in a way that, that Russia has a very hard time ignoring. Mm -hmm. but also like doing the actual humanitarian thing and getting Western support. And and, like, even from a purely Machiavellian point of view, it's very interesting, uh, the effects of that. Uh, But, you know, the fact that they're doing it, I'm glad that they're trying to be effective and humanitarian at the same time. And I'm glad that they found ways to
1: do it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they issued like a, a notice that basically was like, Hey, like, you know, if you surrender, um, they were notifying Russian mothers that like, you can yeah. come pick up your children at the border here. Um, like, you know, we captured them. Like they are, yeah. they are free to go. Just come pick them up and like, we'll hand them over. back." To you.
0: Yeah. It's like, we're not doing prisoner exchanges with Moscow. Your mom has to come pick you up.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. And uh, there there was also there was some video circulating showing, I think you, some Ukrainian soldiers had um, taken it, showing that a lot of the Russian rations had expiration dates of like 2014, 2015. Yeah. And yeah, on top of that, you know, like the Russian forces have been just horribly undersupplied in a lot of ways, but there's been reports here and there that Russian soldiers are purposefully like leaking gasoline out of their vehicles. So yeah. that they can basically say, like, "Hey, we ran out of gas. We can't. We can't go any further because they don't want to be doing this."
0: Yeah, I, I've heard some stuff like that. I think that's harder to see yeah, how yeah. widespread that is, and um, if one person did it, which is believable, mm-hmm. we don't know that that's you know one soldier or one vehicle's worth of stuff, or if that's a significant percentage of the army. It's just that's a very hard thing to know, especially at this stage.
1: Yeah, yeah, you can't. None of this is confirmed. It's you know, like you were right. saying, like you know, propaganda pieces here and there, like. Who knows what is what?
0: Yeah, and that I think is another thing that I found interesting from a historical perspective is even with all of this information technology, even though all of the uh, associated sites have internet connections, Ukraine is, is, a, is a pretty developed place. Everybody's got cell phones too. <laughs> yeah. We still have the fog of war going on and it just takes a slight, it takes a somewhat different shape about the amount of data that's trustable but you still don't know what's going on for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's very hard to tell. And like, you know, Russia is very well known for, you know, using fake news and fake media to push an agenda. And so everything coming out is kind of like, well, like, OK, like, you know, I can see like Ukraine is using a lot of propaganda to, you mm-hmm. know, bolster the morale of their citizens with, you know, great right. intentions, because like you have to do that.
0: Yeah, and the thing is that they have kind of this inherent credibility, uh, relative credibility at the very least, Mm -hmm. uh, because of exactly the reason you're talking about. Russia, in its several minor wins, relatively minor wins, um, from their cyber, I'm going to call it cyber war, because it's directed attacks on foreign countries, not just for intelligence purposes, but for political diplomatic things. this is clausewitz says war is politics by other means and that's right. exactly what it is but the consequence of doing that and having been known to do that is that you're no longer trustable mm-hmm. yeah it's not unlike when we go back to the to all of the cia stuff that we end up talking about over time that has accumulated in the in a lot of places in the world of folks not trusting the CIA, or sometimes Americans in general, because of the CIA. yeah, We lost that credibility. And because we lost that credibility, there are things that are undermined because of it. And so Russia is experiencing a similar effect that because they've been so brazen about creating fake uh, uh, false narratives and producing fake evidence and stuff like that, to a degree, the CIA has Rarely or never done, I, I, I'm not sure I'm going say never for, for sure, but rarely is 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 quite, I think I can easily say rarely, um, they've given up basically any credibility. Right? And a lot of Putin's previous actions puts him in the same situation. Mm-hmm. He has no credibility as an, intero- an interlocular. Any ceasefire agreement, any reason to turn down the heat on him, always has to contend with the fact that he can't be trusted to live by his agreements. Yeah. If you don't have cash on the barrel head, you can't trust that he's going to live up to something in the future.
1: It's been interesting to see the response to all this too, like, because in other excursions of Russia, the Western world just kind of sat around and did nothing. Mm -hmm. And you know, this one, finally things are being done, but even like, even at the start, um, with the talk of sanctions, and it was like, okay, well, we have to impose heavy sanctions. And then Italy was like, yeah, but like, could we make an exception for like jewelry? And then like other places mm. were like, could we make an exception for fuel? And it's like, okay, you can't make like a hundred different exceptions because then yeah, it does nothing.
0: Right. And one thing we do know is that there's quite a lot of very wealthy Russians. An awful lot of them are oligarchs, and when I say oligarchs, I mean the folks that are. Essentially, directly associated with Putin, that Putin has enriched in order to get mm-hmm. kickbacks. And then again, this is, if not well documented, at least well understood that that is essentially how Putin got his alleged $200 billion.
1: Right. Yeah. Um,
0: is various ways of giving away public works and getting kickbacks on it. And by that, looting the entire Russian government. Because mm-hmm. it's not easy to get. That many billions of dollars, any other way.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: But because we know that they've done that, because we know that a lot of the laundering stuff with a lot of high end real estate out in London and New York are quite big about that. I've seen the stories about, uh, about Canadian cities like Montreal. So, like, any exception that allows for a fungible high dollar commodity is essentially just say just slowing them down and not
1: stopping yeah yeah exactly
0: they, they already had the infrastructure for for doing that
1: mm-hmm. yeah i guess we'll end this episode by basically saying like we have no idea what even the next week will entail yeah or even the next like 12 hours like there's you know different news media coming in and reports just over and over again i'll say like it's pretty appalling uh some of the news media that i've seen where um some of the reporters are like, oh, like, we can't believe these two, like, modern societies who are all white would have a war together. This stuff usually belongs in the Middle East or in Africa. It's like, like, you're recorded as saying that, man, like, what what the hell?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I gotta say, every time I, I get a little deeper into geopolitics, I'm shocked at how little I know. Yeah, yeah. But still, man. So I guess we're going to end this by saying, we know we don't have a lot of listeners at this point in time. We were trying to get a lot of episodes out before we grew anything other than organically. Mm-hmm. Um, So you may be listening to this in the future. And if you are, the refugees probably still need money. Mm-hmm. They probably still need support. So I encourage you to, if you're not already giving or you gave once and you think about giving again.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: I think we're both in the support of ukraine and self-determination and uh i personally am quite impressed by by uh president Zelensky. um and i really hope this doesn't escalate to any further than it ha- is especially not to the point where they're using nuclear weapons but yeah we won't know until it happens man and mm-hmm. i don't think that anybody can say for sure it won't and that scares the heck out of me because i grew up in the cold war
1: yeah yeah exactly
0: i've read the horror stories uh-huh. even a little bit isn't good um there's a economist thomas Schelling, that i've been a pretty big fan of ever since i learned about him and uh he's the guy who put in the doctrine in the u.s that is spread basically throughout the world uh, that, that we can't use nuclear weapons even once that there is a real slippery slope i mean slippery slope is, is meant to talk about a logical fallacy but if we can use Tactical nuclear weapons in, as like artillery shells in this conflict, why can't the other side use slightly bigger bombs and slightly bigger bombs? And
1: exactly, yeah.
0: It doesn't stop until cities lay in ruins and we all glow in the dark. And there are a few things that truly make me afraid in this world and that kind of collapse even at a country level. Is a thing that are one of the few things that keep me up at night.
1: Yeah, it's about a stressful time, and it's gonna get worse before it gets better, and hopefully it gets better.
0: Yeah, well, I think eventually it'll get better. I just I hope that that is measured in days, not geological timescales.
1: Yeah. Recording notes can be found at www.hackingthegibson.online. Follow Hack the Gibbs one on Twitter to get notified of new recordings. Support the continued observation of hacking the Gibson on Patreon.